you to some people here in the room and some people that uh, have helped out on Friday night. We had our first respite night, our first bridge event, uh, especially built for kids and their families uh, with special needs. And in that, we had 27 kids here on, uh, on Friday night, and it was an awesome thing to see. And we had, yes, I know, and, and those, the, those parents, including myself, got to partake in that and got to have a chance to go out and just... Uh, just take a break, take a breather, and all the kids had a blast. I've heard lots of good comments from, from parents who had dropped off kids. Uh, and so I want to thank the workers that came. We had 27 workers, 21 from Paragon, 6 from Grace Church over on San Antonio came to help out. So I want to say thank you to them because with that, it was a, a great event. Our next one is going to be April 6th, I believe, the first Friday after Easter. And uh, I look forward to seeing what God's going to continue to do because uh, the great thing about a network like that is uh, if you put on a good event or if you put on a bad event, it's going to spread and it's going to, uh, to get, get known. And so our next one could be very full. And so I'm excited about that. It's something you want to help out with. I'm sure Lori Lauer would love to talk to you about that or you can talk to me about um, getting involved with that. We today are starting a new year, and as we start a new year, we're also starting a new sermon series. And this new sermon series, as you see maybe on the front of your bulletin, is going to be called Limitless. Limitless is a, is a word, um, you might be thinking, why? why are we starting out with a Limitless? Uh, it's a movie, it's a TV show, it's, uh, it's, it's got all kinds of different possibilities. You're thinking, are we going back to at the movies? I'll be honest with you, at one point in time this, this uh, winter, I considered doing a, a, a January at the movies specifically for Star Wars because it had so much in it, but I, I held back on that one. We'll wait on that. But uh, uh, what I did see, yes, I, I, I knew I'd get an amen from the pews, uh, but uh, the, uh, uh, the real thing, what we're doing here with Limitless is this. The word Limitless is defined as without end limit, or boundary. And when I look at that and I think about that in, in my own life, and I think about that as I look back on 2017, I, I look and I say, you know, without end, without limit, without boundary, I look back on 2017 and I see God did some amazing things. I see God did, did some incredible work that I didn't expect. As a matter of fact, he did such an incredible work that I can only say it was God that made that happen. And as I look at that, I think back to myself, I say, what was it at the beginning of 2017 that made me think that why could only God do that and why couldn't he use me to do that? What, what was limiting me and my capabilities? What was limiting me and my desire? What was limiting me from saying I could accomplish this with the help of God at the beginning of 2017? What held me back? And I begin to think about that as we look at 2018. Do we have that same mindset? Do we have the same look to say, I can only accomplish this much on my own, so I'm not going to push any further. I'm not going to reach any further. I'm not going to have the desire to, to chase after the dreams that God has given me. And so that's where limitless comes in, because I see unlimited potential coming from God through us towards this community. I see unlimited potential from God through us in this church. I see unlimited potential through God and in us to go into a people group that is in desperate need of the love of Jesus Christ. And I don't want to hold us back. I don't want to be the one that says, well, here's all that we can do. We're just a small church, so this is, a, this is it. I see unlimited potential. And what I want to do is I want to look at this limitless possibilities as we dive into it. Because there's so many what ifs that we could ask. But the what ifs I wrote down, what if we had tried to limit God and the potential that he has for us to reach beyond our limitations? 
Say, God, I can't. How many times have you said that to God? God, I can't. Even though he's calling you to do it, even though he's pushing you to do it, you say, God, I can't. What if we have limited ourselves and how God wants to use us? What if? So over the next six weeks, it's funny because I was telling Jerome, I said, we're going to do a limitless series, and we're going to limit it to six weeks. So, um, but uh, we're going to, to dive into this over the next six weeks, and I want us to reach beyond our limits. And, and I want us to understand what God has for us in these God-sized dreams that are out there. And, and stop getting in the way and say, this is where God has called us to live. Let's go do it. So, you might ask how. The answer is this. It's what we've been singing about all morning. It's what Jerome read about to start off with. It all starts with God's grace. Because that's really what all of life is, isn't it? Every breath you take is by the grace of God. Every motion that we make is by the grace of God. We were watching a video last night. Christy was showing me uh, about a kid who, who uh, got a, a vaccine, and, and this vaccine affected him wrongly, and it actually paralyzed his body. Over a, He got a neck ache, and as he got the neck ache, then he became paralyzed, and he actually died yesterday. As, as crazy as that is, and I'm not anti-vaccine or anything like that, but I'm just telling you this is a story that they were sharing. He was 13 years old when he got the vaccine, and as, as it happened and it all played out in his body, he died yesterday. And I thought to myself, you know, at any point in time, it doesn't matter how old you are, how young you are, this could be your last breath. It is all by the grace of God that we have it. So this life that we live, what are we going to do? So over the next six weeks, we're going to talk today about God's unlimited grace. And then we're going to see, as we look at it, we're going to talk about next week, God's unlimited power. And, and the power that he has in our lives. And the following we're going to talk about is unlimited presence and his unlimited knowledge. And then we're going to take a turn and look at ourselves. Because a lot of times you might want to jump right into talking about yourselves and limitless. And this is what we can do. But why don't we talk about what God can do and how that should affect what we can do. And we'll look at that power. We'll look at that presence. We'll look at that knowledge. But then we're going to look at us and we're going to say, what limits us? What labels do we put on ourselves? What labels do other people put on us that, that limit us? And then the following week, we're going to talk about God-sized dreams. And those dreams that we, we can chase after and the ones that he's put before us. And then, because it'll end up on February 11th, we're going to talk about God's unlimited love because Valentine's Day, you know, all that kind of stuff like that. And we'll talk about how we love because he first loved us. So, I hope that you can be here for the next six weeks we talk about limitless. When I laid out the sermon series, though, I'm be very honest. I, I wanted to start out with God-sized dreams. And the reason why I want to start out with God-sized dreams is because this week is when everybody is hopefully still in their resolutions. I mean, it's, it's only been six days or so since they started the resolutions, and, and they're, they're in the middle of these resolutions. And they're in the middle of these resolutions. We have these God-sized dreams, and I, I want to, just like everybody else, in 2018, I, I want to tear into this year, and I want it to be for God's glory. And I want it to be something I can say, look what God did in us. Look what God did in me. Look what God is doing and continuing to do. I want to feel the passion of life change in my soul. I want to feel it. And so I thought, what better way to start off than God-sized dreams? But like I talked about last week, here's the thing. As we look at God-sized dreams... I told you last week that 92% of resolutions fail within the first month. Do you know why 92% of resolutions fail within the first month? Well, I got into looking at all the psychological effects of resolutions, and, and the big thing is, is that people know the what, the goal, but they don't know the why. 
They don't know the why. Why should I try and accomplish this goal? So we know what we want, but we don't really know why we want it. And that's why I want to start out with God. Because God is our why. God is the reason why we do what we do. His limitless grace, his limitless power, his love, his presence, his knowledge. That's our why. That's why we want to live God-sized dreams. Because he has given us so much. He tells us in James chapter 4 that life is just a mist or life is just a vapor. It says in Ephesians 5, 15, and 16 to make the most of every opportunity that we're given because we know that life is just a mist. We know that life is just a vapor. Last week we talked about walking worthy in Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, 1 we said walk worthy of the manner that you've been called. Walk worthy in that calling that you've been called to. Why? Because God is. And that's why we respond the way that we respond. These challenges, they're, they're to live life to the fullest. It says, don't waste your life. Make a lasting difference. Isn't that what we all want in our lives? I mean, when I really get to think about it, I, I love music. And I love songs that tell a story. And I think that's the reason why I don't like pop music today, because none of them tell any story whatsoever. They're, they're just a bunch of gibberish words that, that go along with a hippie beat, and then we're all good. Did I just say hippie beat? I did. But uh, so, 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 so there you have it. I'm, I'm an old Baptist pastor talking about hippies now. But here, here's, the, here's the thing that we, we hold on to. As I look at that, I think through this in my, there's a song by Switchfoot called Live It Well. And, and there's, this one, for whatever reason, has spoken to me so much. But here's the, the chorus of it. Life is short. I want to live it well. I got one life, one story to tell. What do we want to do with that one life? What do we want to tell with that one story? Life is short, I want to live it well, and you're the only one I'm living for. Obviously singing to, to God, singing to Christ in this. You're the only one I'm living for. Who is it that we're living for? Awake all my soul. Every breath that I take is a miracle. Life is short, I want to live it well. One of the lines in there stuck out to me, and is this. I'm not living for just a funeral. I'm not living for just a funeral. And that's how many people just go through the motions and eventually it happens. They, they, they die. And I don't know, maybe it's because I told you guys last week, I think, if you were here, you, you heard about, uh, I told you that David Graston, uh, they were pulling his, uh, his breathing tube out and he died that afternoon. Uh, Christy and I got to go down there uh, and with about 20 minutes of us being there, uh, the, he, he stopped breathing. His funeral actually be at Tuesday uh, down at uh, San Felipe Church in the uh, Old Town, uh, that Catholic church that's down there. Uh, at 2 o'clock, so, or no, not at 2 o'clock, 10 o'clock, his, uh, his uh, reception's at 2 o'clock. But, uh, so if you want to be a part of that, please, please join us for that. But I, I think I, I watched the family gathered around the bed, and, and, and th there was two different groups of family. There, there was the Protestant family, and there was, there was the Catholic family. And, and I watched as they, they stood on each side, and they both reacted very differently. To, to David's passing. And, and as I saw that, that take place, one, one side, they wept, and the other side, they, they lost it. And, and uh, you know, my family is Catholic. I grew up Catholic, so I understand that there, there's so much to it that there's so much that, that, that doesn't really understand as much about Jesus for whatever reason, that, that he is our hope. And I think when people see that and, and, and understand that, that some of the, the, the Roman Catholic ways talk about all the works that you have to do, and we'll talk a little bit more about that, we forget about God's unlimited grace and God's thing. And, and 
the people that lost it, they're like, well, what's he going to do now? Well, those who know that he's a believer, those who he knows that he, he trusted in Jesus Christ as his personal Savior and, and understands that he is the Lord of his life, man, there's a peace. These people said, well, we lost a good man today. And as Jerome said before, you only call it lost if you don't know where it's at. We know where David's at. He's not lost. And so there's, there's a reality in all of this. And I look at that and say, I, I'm living for more than just a funeral. I'm living to share the word of God with every person, whether Catholic or Protestant or atheist or agnostic or whatever it might be. I, I'm living to say this is the life that I have been given by the grace of God to share with others. Why? Because his unlimited grace has been poured out on me and i got to share it with others. John 1 as Jerome read, Jesus, full of grace and truth, gives us grace upon grace. James 4, 6, God gives more grace. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, for by grace we have been saved through faith. That's not of ourselves. The book of Romans, all about grace. As a matter of fact, if you had a homework assignment this week, read Romans chapter 5. And highlight the grace that is dumped out by God on a guy like me and a person like you. It's all about God's grace. I told you I like music. How about this song? Maybe you've heard it. It says something about amazing grace. It's got this real sweet sound that would save a, a, a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. T'was blind, but now I see. You want to go back to other old hymns? Grace, grace, God's grace. Maybe you've heard that, where the next line says that will pardon and cleanse within. The line after that is grace, grace, God's grace, grace that is greater than all my sin. God's grace is unlimited. It's not limited to what I do. It's not limited to who I am. It's not limited to if I'm a really good person or not. It's not limited. It is unlimited. It is greater than all of my sin. And it really does all start with that. Now, you might think, well, why does it have to start with God's grace? Why can't it start with me? Well, here's the problem. You and I, we are sinners. You and I are separated from God. You and I are not holy, and God is. And that creates a chasm. That creates a giant, wide gorge that we cannot cross. So how do we reconcile ourselves? How do we cross that chasm with our sin and guilt on one side and his perfection on the other side? How do we cross that? How do we get across there? How can we be forgiven? How do we enter into a right relationship with God? And how do we stay in a right relationship with God? How does that happen? Is it anything that I can do? And the answer to that is no. It is all by God's grace. But here's the thing. There are people that ask that question constantly. There are people that just can't quite grasp and put their head around God's grace. And maybe that's you. Because you think, how could God do all of that and me not have to do anything? There's got to be some way. So for years and years and years, really since the very beginning, when man fell away from God and we started to go our own way, and as we went on our own way, we started to say, Here's a religious system that works. Because there's two different approaches we can have for God. One is that of works. One is, this is what I have to do to earn favor with God. And sometimes that's all works, and sometimes that's some of what God does, and I have to add to it. 
let me just be very clear right up front for you in case you tune me out at any point in time. It's Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Hold on to that. But as you talk about that, as you look at that, what are the works that we do? What are the things that we say? See, when we have works, it demands that we fulfill some condition to atone for our misdeeds. Some way of saying, God, I am so sorry. Please don't punish me. God, I am so sorry. I won't do it again. Don't have my football team lose today. That is a reality that I talk to real people that think that somehow God is like, well, if you just hit this scale just good enough, you're going to be okay. Your football team will be okay, whatever it might be. And we look at that and we say, no, that, that's not it. So what are the things that we do? Well, sometimes it is literally repeating a prayer over and over again. If you say this many prayers, you're going to be okay. Maybe it's personal sacrifice. If you do this or give this, then you're going to be okay. Maybe it's self-denial. Well, if I fast and I do this, then I'll be okay. Maybe it has something to do with abuse, where you literally abuse yourselves. You've seen people that do it, that hit themselves with whips, they, they hit themselves in the head with boards, they, they, they do things, that they cut themselves, they hurt themselves, saying, well, as long as I lower myself in this way, then God is going to be okay with me. See, under that, that, that really classifies every religious system except for biblical Christianity. That somehow I have to do something to earn God's favor. That, that first approach, as, as we look at it, God, he's saying, here's, here's my works, God. Take these as good things to help balance out that scale over my bad things. And, and, and we're trying to earn God's favor. We're trying to earn God's love. But here's the problem. Those systems don't work. Not only do they don't work, they can't work. You know why they can't work? Because everything we offer to God is valueless. It is worthless. I mean, imagine this. Imagine that you go to your realtor and you say, I want that mansion. And you come with a bucket full of Monopoly money. And you're like, I'm rich. And as you say, I'm rich, they're going to think you're crazy because that is worthless. You can't buy that precious gift with worthless nothing. That's what we do when we come with our good deeds to God. See, and when we look, at the, there's a verse that, that, that is found in Isaiah chapter 64, verse 6. It says, we all have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous need, deeds are like a polluted garment. Now, I'm going to unpack this polluted garment just a little bit, and I want you to bear with me because it's gross, okay? Because the actual Hebrew word is for polluted garment, or maybe your translation says filthy rags, is actually either soiled underwear or used menstrual rags. He's being very clear, being very gross about it, but at the same time saying, this is what you're offering to God. God, I love you so much. Here's my dirty pair of not-so-tidy whities how would you feel about that? Would you be just a little disgusted by that? See, we offer that to God saying, this is what I have for you. We somehow think our goodness matches up to God's greatness. And when we look at that in our lives, we say, how can we do this? You know, I, I really like tapioca pudding. And I'm going to keep it on the gross line for just a second. But I like tapioca pudding. I don't know if there's fish eyes in there. I don't know what those are. But, but, but there's something in there that I really like about tapioca pudding. But if I imagine somebody making tapioca pudding, they've got that big old bowl, and they just, shoo, and sneeze, and it just goes into the bowl. 
And they just keep on stirring. And they're like, here you go. Here's what I have to offer you. It's mostly good. Right? But it's tainted. When we offer ourselves to God and say, God, I'm mostly good, we got a lot of snot and sneeze inside of us. we got a lot of tainted nasty in there, and we're throwing it at God, and he says, guess what, guys? Just like you wouldn't want tainted tapioca pudding, I don't want your tainted stuff. It needs to be clean. It needs to be taken care of. And when we look at that, we say anything that we want to do to try and establish our own righteousness is not good enough. It's not good enough. And then you say, well, how about we even look at it from this point of view? We don't have anything extra to give. Even if we could do everything right, we don't have enough extra to give to say, God, here's what I have to give to you. Because everything is already his. Everything we possess, everything we give to God, everything we could possibly do for God, we owe him already. Why? Because he is supremely worthy. He is worthy of our everything. So even when we fall short in just a little area, we mess up. He is supremely worthy. As a matter of fact, Luke chapter 17, verse 7 through 10, Jesus gives a parable about this. He says, Will any one of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to him when he has come in from the field, Come at once and recline at the table? No. Will he rather not say to him, Prepare supper for me and dress properly and serve me while I eat and drink, and afterwards you will eat and drink? And does he even thank the servant because he did what he was commanded? So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done what is our duty. So when we come to God, we're not like, hey, we get to hang out because we've done all. No, we're doing what we are told to do. We tend to forget that that we view God in this this little narrow box. And I think this limitless idea is we got to take God out of the box. We got to stop putting God in, in our little human box and say, this is who God is, because God isn't. Because if we could define him, he wouldn't be God. If we could fit him into our little thing, he wouldn't be God, because we would be God over that. We'd be in control over that. See, we have this crazy way of thinking that if we give 10% of our income, if we give a few hours on Sunday, if, if we do some event during the week, then we have done our duty. We have done what is needed to be done, but the rest of our time, the rest of our money, the rest of our experiences, our possessions, everything like that belongs to us. And then when we do something bad, well, we can give some of that stuff that belongs to us on top of our duty, and it's going to wipe it all out. That's kind of our thinking, isn't it? But when you stop and think about it, that God already owns it all. God already possesses it all. It's all Him. We don't have anything extra to give. So in that, our works cannot work. There's no extra to pay the debt of our sin because God is supremely worthy. So that's the first approach. Man trying to fill that gap, that giant chasm, that giant gorge between us and God. And it's just not working. So there's a second approach. And that second approach is what we sang about. second approach is what we've read about, and that's grace. The second approach is that unlimited grace of God. And I don't think we could adequately define grace with just a few words. But I'm going to give it a shot. And it's going to be a lame attempt, but this is basically what it is. God's free and unmerited favor shown to guilty sinners who deserve only judgment. And unmerited means not worthy. We're not worthy of getting it. And so when I look at that, I, I think, you know, grace is a gift. Maybe you've heard the acrostic. 
God's riches at Christ's expense. And when we think about that in our lives, when we think about that the way it is, there is no way you can get a gift and earn it, right? I mean, we just came out of Christmas. Did any of you have to earn your Christmas gift? If you did, it's not a gift. Because that goes against the definition of a gift. This is God's gift to us. And as we look at that, we, we look at the, the final approval that we get. We look at the, the, the justification we get. We look at the sanctification that we go through. And it's not anything that we do. It is what God is doing at Christ's expense. He has done it through Jesus Christ for us. Jesus suffered in our place. He took our punishment. He took our shame upon himself because of his grace. I mean, even last week as we talked about Ephesians, we talked about the, the first three chapters about who God is. Listen to what it says in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 9. Listen to the, the words that are in here. It says this, but God, being rich in mercy, being unlimited in his mercy because of his great love, his unlimited love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved. And raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace. That unlimited grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It's a gift of God, not a result of works. Underline that in your Bible a thousand times. It's not a result of works so that no one may boast. I can give you a story from the Old Testament that, that really lays this out. It's a story about King David. And when King David had become king, uh, he had a friend that was the son of the previous king. His friend's name was Jonathan. Jonathan was King Saul's son. And King Saul wanted to kill David because he knew he was next in line. But Jonathan had this relationship with him, and they had a great relationship, and it was a good thing. And that relationship unfortunately ended when both Saul and his son Jonathan were killed in a battle with the Philistines. And as they were killed in that battle with the Philistines, David was raised up to become the king. And as he became the king, one of the things that was common in that day is, is you wanted to wipe out the rest of the family because you didn't want any of them to come back and take that kingship away. And David sees that he's in the palace, and he's in the palace, he turns to one of Saul's former servants, and he says this to this guy, his name is Ziba, and it says, is there not, and this is 2 Samuel chapter 9, starting in verse 3, is there not still someone in the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God to him? Why? Because there's this love for Jonathan. And Ziba said to the king, there is still a son of Jonathan. He is crippled in his feet. Something to hold on to. Verse 6, jump down. And Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and paid homage. They, they, they brought this guy in that was a cripple. And he fell on his face before David and paid homage. Why? Because he thought this was the end. He thought he was done. He was in the line. Because he was in the line, he was going to be executed right there. And David said to Mephibosheth, and he answered, Behold, I am your servant. And David said to him, Do not fear for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. And I will restore to you all the land of Saul, your father. And you shall eat at my table always. And he paid homage and said, What is it that your servant that you should show regard for a dead dog such as I? And the king said to Ziba, Saul's servant, 
and said to him, all that belong to Saul and all to, to all his house I have given to your master's grandson. And you and your sons and your servants shall till, the de- till, shall till the land for him and shall bring the produce that is your master's grandsons and may have bread to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, shall always eat at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Then Ziba said to the king, according to all that my lord the king commands his servant, so your servant will do. So Mephibosheth, that's a fun one to say a bunch of times, by the way. He ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. And Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah. And all who lived in Ziba's house became Mephibosheth's servants. So Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem. I'm going to do it, I promise. And he ate always at the king's table. Now he was lame in both feet. And I find it interesting that he said the last passage that he was lame in both feet. This is an amazing passage. A man who should be dead. A man who should be executed. A man who should be pushed out of the kingdom and left where a cripple is supposed to be. And in these days, a cripple was supposed to be a beggar at the gate. And that was it. A man that had nothing met the king. And when he met the king, everything was restored to him. And he was allowed to eat at the king's table. Now, we can leave the Old Testament side aside, or apart over here and go, I can say those exact same words without having to say Mephibosheth. And that is the picture of Jesus Christ. Because that cripple could not do anything for himself. We are crippled by sin. We cannot do anything for ourselves. And because we cannot do anything for ourselves, the king had to be gracious had to be full of grace and invite us to the table and restore who we are. And that's exactly what he did. This is an amazing picture of the gospel. This is an amazing thing. And as we see how completely helpless it is, we have to realize how completely helpless we are. So here is what I like to do. Anytime we do dive into this kind of stuff, there's got to be application. And maybe you're thinking to yourself, well, I've accepted that grace. I've accepted that in my life. It was a long time ago. Well, I got two things then. One, if you haven't accepted that grace, here's what we need to do. How do we receive that grace? The second question is, if you have received that grace, how do you show that grace? How do you give that grace? So the first one I want to look at is, how do you receive that grace? God's grace is wrapped up entirely in the person of Jesus Christ. It is wrapped up entirely in the person of Jesus Christ. You can't get it through religion or ritual. Please understand that. You can only get it through Jesus. Not by following the rules, but through Jesus. Here's the great thing. God's grace, it's free. And as you look at what God's grace is and you say God's grace is free, let me be very clear with this. It may be free, but it's not cheap. Because it costs Jesus Christ his life. Let me be very honest with you too. It will cost you your old life as well. The grace of God is not free. Through the grace of God, we've exchanged our old life for the glory of God. Grace is the most expensive commodity out there that we have. And we look at that, and we say, Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay for it. And we look at it, there's three things. One, his grace paid for the penalty of our sin. Two, it broke the power of sin in our lives. And three, it will destroy sin one day when we are standing in the presence of God and there will be no more sin and there will be no more death. The grace that God offers will change everything about your life. You say, well, how do I receive it? You just have to accept it. 
like any other gift. And you have to open that gift, and you have to use it. And let it be in you. Why would I want to accept grace? Well, that's a dumb question, but I'm going to answer it for you anyway, okay? We're saved by grace. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. We are forgiven by grace. Isaiah 43. We are sustained by grace. Philippians chapter 2. We're healed by grace. Psalm 147. We're liberated and freed by grace. You might think, well, wait a second. But Christians always have this list of things that you have to do. There's a list of rules. No, that, that's, a, that's a response. Not, not, not a rules that you have to follow for God to love you. It's rules that we follow because God loves us. It's not a to-do list to check off to say, well, I accomplished this, I accomplished this. Jesus talks to different people throughout scriptures about these very things. We're given talents by grace. Romans chapter 12. God has given us the ability to do something well and use those abilities for his glory. We're used by grace. God uses us to fulfill his purpose to glorify himself. We are transformed by grace. Romans chapter 12. And we're matured by grace. See, grace doesn't just save us. Grace fuels our Christian walk, that walking worthy that we talked about last week. So that leads us to a second question. Well, I have grace, so how do I show it or how do I give it myself? As a recipient of limitless grace in, in Jesus Christ, we have to give it away to others. It's a lot like this. God knows everything about us, but he still loves us. God knows everything about us, but he still blesses us. God knows everything about us, but he still forgives us. So if he is that way, and we're growing closer to be more like him, then we need to do the same for others. See, it's God's grace, not, not nagging people that changes people. It is God's grace that changes people. So in a, in a letter to the, the church at Colossae, Paul actually writes about this. And he says this in the chapter, first chapter of Colossians, verse 3. It says, we always thank God, the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid upon you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you. As indeed the whole world is bearing fruit and increasing. And it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Now I think that understanding, it changes things. We say, if I can put this in picture of what God has done for me, then I should do the same for others. So the first thing I would say, if you're going to give get grace, is to forgive as God forgave you. Those might be some of the hardest words to say. Because I don't like to forgive when somebody's wronged me. But I can guarantee that I've wronged God more than anybody's ever wronged me. And yet he still forgave me. Forgive as God forgave you. You remember back when you were a little kid and mom made you forgive somebody? I can tell you a funny story yesterday. My little guy in Dale, um, he and Levi and Lily are real brothers and sisters. Some people say, well, how, how does the adoption thing work? They're real brothers and sisters. They fight like real brothers and sisters. They love like real brothers and sisters. Well, yesterday, Levi popped, or got popped by Ndale. And it was a real deal. We kind of laughed about it, but Christy goes, Ndale, I want you to say you're sorry to Levi. He's American as they get, all right? So, so they, uh, they, we, we see this begin to take place. We're like, we're going to make you go sit in timeout if you do not. He walked over to timeout himself. 
he, he wasn't going to do it. And Christy finally let him sit in time out for a couple minutes there and took him over. And she says, I want you to hug Levi. And he goes like this. He actually put his arms back so he didn't have to reach out to hug. And I just went, that, that is it. You can't force somebody to forgive. Even if you take away their time, you take away their TV privileges, you can't force somebody to do that. See, true forgiveness flows out of love. The love that God has for us, that unlimited love God has for us, He forgave us. And no, you know what? Other people don't deserve it. Just like we didn't deserve it from Christ. So that's how we respond. That's what we do. When we reflect on God's forgiveness, it makes it easier for us to forgive them and show God's grace. Second thing I wrote down is this. Serve as God serves. Serve without strings attached. See, Jesus didn't come down here and become a servant, humble himself, like it says in Philippians chapter 2, and make himself a servant, taking on that very form of one, because somehow or another there were strings attached, that we had done something to earn that. See, we didn't earn it, we didn't deserve it, that's God's grace. And he sent him down here, and he served us. Serve because we want to be more like Jesus. Take the lead. Do something unexpected for others, whether it be your spouse or your friends or your church or whatever it might be. Serve in such a way that you're not forced to do it. Serve in such a way that, that you want to say, I want to show others the grace of God. Because isn't that what it's all about? Isn't our life to glorify God? And don't we glorify God by being what he's called us to be and showing us what it's all there? See, God's grace is changing us. It's changing me. It's changing you, not for our glory, but for his. Isn't that an amazing thing to think about? That he, the God of the universe, the God of everything, would take time for you and for me to change us. And as it changes us, that grace should flow through us and help us be a part of God's plan to change others. What does that look like in your life? That's the question I have for you. What does God's grace look like in your life? Is it something that you still need to receive, or is it something you still need to give? Where do you fall at in that? That's for you to decide. That's for you to look at. That's for you to recognize. And then when you recognize it, how can we tap into that unlimited grace to be able to pour it out on others and say, this is how I want to walk worthy. This is how I want to be after God. Not because of anything that I'm going to do, because I want to show the glory of God. I want to show the Holy Spirit in my life. And as I show the Holy Spirit in my life, I want God to be glorified. So we talked about last week with the walk worthy. That's what we talked about last week with Galatians chapter 5. We're talking about the fruit of the Spirit that comes out. The love and the joy and the peace and the patience and the kindness and the gentleness. And the self-control and the goodness. The things that are in our lives, how do we become something that God can use to show that to others in order to glorify himself and see more people changed in coming to Christ? My question for you is, is, if you haven't received grace, why not? And if you have received grace, who are you showing it to? Let's pray together. Father, thank you again for your word. And thank you for your unlimited grace. I don't know what else to say besides that. Because without it, we're hopeless. Without it, we're far from you. Without it, we have no reason to live. Without it, we're lost. But with it, God, 
We are close to you. With it, we are adopted as your children. With it, we sit at your table. With it, we're restored. God, I look at that in my own life, and I'm thankful for it. I look at that in the lives of my family, and I'm thankful for it. And I pray for those in my family, even the ones I talked to this week, that we got into a discussion on who God is, what the Bible is, who it's written by, and all the details that go with it. And there's just such a almost hatred. God, I'm thank you, thankful that you broke down that between me and you, that enmity fact that I was an enemy of yours. And I pray for my family members, the ones that are still far from you, God, that you will use me, you'll use my family, you'll use their friends to show your grace and show your love. That one day their lives will change when they meet you and make that opportunity for them to accept your grace. Make you the Lord of their lives. God, I bet there's people in here that are thinking the same thing about their family members. Maybe they're thinking something about that their own lives. God, they, they're far from you and they want to be close. Help them to receive that grace today. Help them understand why Jesus came. Because only your spirit can open up our minds to that way. Just like the Ethiopian eunuch that was reading couldn't understand the scriptures. But when you opened it up through Peter, his eyes were open, his heart was open pray for that to happen today here in our in our service and for God those who have received your grace I pray that today they can show that grace to the people that are having a hard time forgiving the people that are having a hard time living with the people that are having a hard time just doing life with God let your grace shine as your grace shines let your glory shine as your glory shines let's see people's lives that we touch change as well God we pray it all in your name